When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Today I've got with me BAFTA nominated for the, her role in the 2009 film Exam, Pollyanna McIntosh. Hello. Hello. And how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. The sun is shining. And there's a reason we're here with the, uh, with the, with the Skype up and talking. What film, what film DVD release are we talking about today? We're talking about White Settlers, which is a British film um, set in Scotland and shot in England. And, uh, yeah, we, at the, for me, presently, I've been going around the festival circuit and I'm still in the middle of that, but we will be releasing on DVD at the end of October. Cool. And do you want to give the listener a brief synopsis as to what that film's about? It's about a young... Well, I say young, I'm 35. I think I'm playing 30. It's younger than <laughs> it's me, about, I'm 42. Uh, it's so about a couple, an English couple, who moved from London and the rat race to the borders of Scotland for a pastoral life. They have dreams of turning this lovely old tumble-down uh, cottage into a B&B and having babies and moving on to the next stage in their lives. And on the first day that they move into their home, Sarah, my character, gets a bit paranoid about bumps in the nights and she's thinking that she's hearing things and uh, her husband doesn't believe any of it. And when he goes missing and there's clearly a threat coming into the house, uh, she's forced to reckon with a very real fear. So it's a class, it's, it's very much a classic kind of home invasion movie, isn't it? In some it sense. is a classic home invasion movie. It's got, it's got a great couple of twists, and the themes um, are kind of about the haves and have-nots, because there's certain issues with whether the house was taken away by the previous owners by the bank, and whether these this couple from London really understand what they're um, what they're entering into, and given the recent Scottish independent vote, it's quite uh, it's quite apt the uh, the tension between the two the two tribes, as it were. Yeah, it's a really funny thing because the writer is Scottish, Ian Fenton, and um, he didn't write it imagining that that was coming up, and then <laughs> right, and we didn't even think about it when we were shooting, and then. It just happened because we shot it in September of... No, sorry, in... Gosh, in May of last year we shot it. And then all of a sudden, the release, it was ready for release just before the referendum. And, yeah, I have to admit that the the PR lot surrounding the film definitely made use of that. And um, quite effectively, I think. 
No, no, indeed, indeed. Now, before we go into more detail about your role in the film, um, let's just rewind the clock a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And sort of just thinking about where the, the sort of acting bug bit you. Now, considering reading your bio, you left Look for London at the age of 16. It obviously bit you quite early. But, but who or what <laughs> represents a kind of tipping point for you wanting to become an actor? It was honestly when I was nine years old and my mum, I used to live in, in Edinburgh uh-huh. at the time, and my mum said, oh, I'll wait to acting school with you because you're just very excitable. <laughs> <laughs> so every Thursday after school, I'd go to this acting school and we'd do Shakespeare and voice and all sorts of stuff. And it was just really fun. And I really loved telling stories. And um, it kind of bit me then. Yeah. But I moved to London when I was 16 to model because I... I graduated school early and uh, I was young for my year and I got into uni and I, I was offered this contract with an agency in London to do modelling. So I went down and did that for a couple of years before I went to uni. Um, and it was great fun. Well, that's a whole other story. Indeed, but, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking of your first paid gig, which was sort of Irving Welsh's Acid House. And for yeah. those, people, those people listening who were looking to get their break in, as it were, how, how did you get noticed or chosen for that role? Well, I was in the sort of um, fairy tale way that was going on at the time. Cool. Because do you remember when Train Spotting came out and Kelly MacDonald had been a young schoolgirl walking past and been spotted and got cast in that? Mm-hmm. Obviously, because she was very talented, but she was one of those in the street kind of stars. Yeah. And so this was just becoming a bit of a thing. Um, and there was a, I'd gone, I was living in London and I went up to visit a friend in Scotland who was at uni in Glasgow. And there was this sign saying, open auditions for a different movie. And I went along to play this really sort of rough girl set in the 50s it was. And my parents said, oh, you'll never be cast as a rough girl, darling. (laughs) And um, I went along anyway, and I didn't get the job, but they kept me on file and they remembered me. And then when the acid house came up, they called probably. I was going to say they emailed, but I doubt they would have emailed in those days. And they called and said, you know, would you be interested in coming along and doing this? So I got paid. I remember very distinctly because it was my first movie, you know, and I was 16 and I got paid... £35 for the day, yeah. and the train was about 50 to get me up there. And I couldn't have been happier. It was just magic. And, um, so, so, yeah, sorry, how did people get started? Well, I just, I think that was, uh, uh, you know, a typical example of just having your eyes out. You know, they say that luck is mostly preparation to be ready for good luck to strike. Yeah. And I really believe in that. I think if you work on your talent and you 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 observe, you know, as an actress, and you just try and get better in any way that you can, um, and look out for every opportunity, and don't be a snob about getting experience, then, you know, if you're a hard worker and you're working on your skills, then there's just no reason why you shouldn't succeed. No, it's, it's a very it's a very uh, it's a similar trope we get on here, which is this idea of being available. You know, mm. yeah, it can happen if you are. Um, now, look at what people have said about your performances in, in, in feature films. Uh, I take two extremes, really. Um, so for Sex and Death 101, you were, you were cited <laughs> yeah. as having... I mean, this is a lovely, a lovely picture of you, uh, a unique blend of powerful sexuality and irreverent humour. Mm. But, then, but then, for exam, you, you were found to have an emotional vulnerability, which obviously, those, just taking those two examples, that's a hell of a range. Oh, thank two. you. Um, I mean, and, and I must admit, uh, uh, exam was the first film I saw you in, to be honest with you. 
Yeah. Um, and and then I saw you in The Woman. So again, they're two big leaps again in terms of... Oh, yeah. Can you imagine if The Woman had turned up for that job interview? <laughs> different story. <laughs> if she turned up, that would have been uh, keeping your eyes and ears open. Um, so what what helps you sort of, as from an active point of view, how do, you, how do you hit those highs and lows of a character? And what, what do you draw on from real life? Well, I think it's different in every... In ev- on every one, you know, but I think if you've got a good script and if you're interested in human nature, I just kind of go down the rabbit hole of what this person might be like. And then, like you say, you just draw from your own experiences. Um, and I think I think it's also, you know, about being well cast, because I like to think I can do a bit of everything. Mm. But you kind of know when there's a role that you're reading and you think, yeah, I really get this. You know, I really get where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I was told that I went audition for something in, in New York, the first American film that I auditioned for. It was this movie called um, Headspace. Okay. And in it, mostly I play this very regular kind of girl and a girlfriend of the lead's best friend kind of a role. Yeah. And... I was the only chick in it, really. Um, and But there's one moment where the, the lead sees her through his going through a bit of a psychosis eyes, and he sees her as this monster. Her and her boyfriend are kind of coming towards him, and he's afraid of them. Yeah. So we kind of have to turn into these creatures as he sees us, you know. Um, and I gave it my all, and when I got the job, the director said, you know, you were the only one who really went for it with the monstrousness and it just really took me aback I thought wow there that means that there's lots of people going in to audition for things and not just taking it to the all out extent I mean I always feel like what have you got to lose you know it's always more fun for me to go um as extreme and as far into a character as is possible that's part of the joy of it that's the release you know so I guess maybe it's just that as well maybe I just have a natural um want to Go a bit nuts. Well, I mean, but I think that's that, that's the fear factor that stops most of us doing it, you know, because it's really. I your, suppose so. if, if you give everything, you know, it's that you know, that notion of you know, the, the, the dance while nobody's dances if nobody's looking kind of thing. Uh, yeah. If you can go that if you can go that far in front of people as a way of going, this will impress you. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of high risk, isn't it? You know, in terms of what's what's considered normal. But like you say, for you, normal was why not go the whole hog? Because what's there to lose? Exactly. I mean, you're going to look like a tool either way. Let's face it. Any audition tape you've ever seen, even when somebody's brilliant, you know that there was risk involved of them looking like a Wally. Yeah. Um, I figure I'd feel more of a Wally if I came out not having given it everything I had than than saving something. You know, that 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 being safe is just it doesn't work for me. I mean, I mean, because I mean, me, me as a writer, you know, when I give work to somebody to look at and they don't maybe like it or they like it then they're judging the work, and I can be distant from it. But whereas an audition, there's no gap between you and the performance you give, is there? You're, you're there in front of people to go, yes, we like what you do. Yeah, but I would say that you're unusual as a writer in that regard. I think a lot of writers take it extremely personally. You know? I try not to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure no, I do right. in, the dark, in the dark, you know, the wee small hours of the night, but uh, you have to try and keep some distance. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the challenge, I think, in life generally is is um is saying fuck it to fear. Indeed, indeed. If only it was that easy all the time. 
Now, mm-hmm. fast forward to uh, White Settlers, and I mean, I, I, from my point of view, obviously, I've been seeing you sort of certainly seeing you, seeing you in the woman and uh, in filth, and, and like I say, in exam, you're you're pre- you're established in some senses, uh, and certainly established in in, in, genre, in genre circles. Um, yeah. So, so what at what stage did you join White Settlers in the role of Sarah, and, and how and how did you get involved? Um, I came on board really early because uh, I was at this festival in Manchester, which the producers of the film run. Um, and yeah. And I was there with a short called Him and Doors, which was like a comedy horror short that I'd done with Reese Shearsmith, which was loads of fun. Mm-hmm. And they loved it and they wanted me to come and do a Q&A and all that business. So I went up for that. And they were also fans of the woman. And they seduced me. Oh, nice. um, they, they started telling me about this film that they wanted to make and would I be interested in working with them. In fact, it was a it was a it was a general just we want to work with you thing, and then they sent me a script for something else, and I didn't feel it was something I wanted to do. And they said, oh well, we've got this other thing actually. Um, and then they sent me the script for White Settlers, and I said, yeah, this looks like something I would really like to do because it was a really a really tightly written script, and it was just just a really good thriller, you know. And I liked the Scottish aspect, and I liked how Sarah was she had a bit of power play with her husband. They both had quite a complex relationship. Um, and it certainly changes in the movie. Um, certainly her vulnerability changes. Yeah. Um, the levels of her vulnerability change. And then, and so, yeah, I was really on board from the start. I, you know, obviously the writer came in first, and then, and then it was me. Um, and then we were off to find me a husband. <laughs> and then, in that sense, then, how, how being involved at that early stage, was, did you have any input on how the script developed from that point on to it going to production? Well, it was a pretty solid script, so, you know, I didn't feel it needed... I didn't feel it needed much changing, to be honest. Um, There were possibly a couple of things, but I don't really remember... uh, I don't really remember much needing, in my eyes, needing worked on. Mm. Um, We did discuss the character, and I kind of had this idea that brought this idea to the table that Sarah might have had uh, this nervousness and this fear of, of, of people breaking in, hangover, has a hangover from living in London mm-hmm. and living in, in a metropolis. Um, so I had all sorts of theories about her background and stuff, which I talked a lot to the director about. And I felt very strongly that the, the bank's element to it should be brought to the fore because I felt like that was really interesting and, and certainly relevant to, um, you know, with the recession kicking off at the time and everything, we were certainly suffering from other people's greed um, as a nation. No, indeed. So and I just I... remember those were the main things that we that I was saying that were important to me about it. And I guess it's like, I mean, without, without you know, without being too grandiose about it, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's similar themes to what you get in Sex of Chainsaw Massacre in the sense that you have these people from the city going to yeah. the rural and they represent everything that's bad from the city, even though they're not necessarily bad people themselves. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is. It is. They are real genre tropes that you know, um, evident in White Settlers, which I think is quite pleasing for the genre fans. And at the same time, it's just quite a simple thriller, you know, and very British in flavour. Well, that's it. I mean, that's the thing that that's the uniqueness that, that it gets, doesn't it? That's what you want. You want to be able to see the sort of 
the British the British culture version, as it were, for one of a better. Yeah, my uh, my sister. I was just visiting her in Edinburgh, and she said it's a very anti-Scottish film, like Settlers. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> so it was really important to me that it wasn't, you know. But um, I think the whole point of it is that you can be ambiguous about about who you think is the good guy and who's the bad guy in this movie. I was going to say, I'd flip it the other way around. I'd say it was anti-English, <laughs> if it was going to mm. say anything. Yeah, I, I would say it's anti... For me, it was always anti-ignorant, um, uh, arrogant, kind of everything sorted in my life. Why would I think about you know anyone else who might not be in my position? Because mm. that, really, that was really well written from my mouth, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. You obviously have written down. Um, Clearly. <laughs> if you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Uh, you, you you've already hinted at the, the sort of the, the, the role being a sort of certainly you're not exactly a shrinking violent, but you're not you're not all action woman at the start, but certainly that yeah. role that develops as part of the role as we go through the twists and turns. So, yeah. in that sense, how, how do you prepare yourself for that? Because obviously you run you you run around in bits of woods and stuff and all over. You know, it's not exactly tarmac and. Uh... Yeah, you stretch a lot and you make sure that the production are well stocked in bruise cream. <laughs> basically because of course you shoot massive stunt sequences and then you go back to shooting the idyllic beginning walking through the woods with your boyfriend in a dress and you go with your husband in a dress and you go my legs are covered in bruises guys <laughs> so um yeah stretching is really important because I've, I've pulled muscles and clunked myself out when doing stunts before yeah. um and you don't want to be walking through a movie looking like frankenstein so uh, just being being a bit limber and then just throwing yourself into it really and shitting yourself up you know making sure that you get you you're proper scared because there's nothing worse than watching somebody looking like they're supposed to be scared and you really you can tell that they're just kind of waiting for their tea break which I do spot a moment of that in the film by the way what, you spot <laughs> your totally, own moment of it totally horrifies me <laughs> so does that mean spot this big moment where I'm like clearly knackered and need a feed <laughs> but you you know that and we don't. So I guess that's 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 you remembering shooting the film rather than maybe it, it's showing. I will go with that. Thank you, sir. There you go. There's the, there's the, the glass half full view at that that moment. Um, but do, does that mean you had uh, like stunt coordinators on, or is that just within this kind of indie budget film? It's sort of you with the film crew as normal. Sort of no, we did. We had um, we had a guy called Jim McCready, a Scottish guy who, of course, he's Scottish. He's called Jim McCready. Um, <laughs> He was stunt coordinator, and then we had a stunt man who did a... There was a moment where I run across a roof, and it's not me. It's oh. a stunt man. And I mean, it's something I could have done easily, but for insurance's sake, they have to have, to have this man in a wig <laughs> dressed as me. And he was honestly, like, about 5'7 at the tallest. I'm 5'11. <laughs> and he's a dude. And he was there with his shaved chest, wearing a little top and hoodie like I had on, and running along the roof. And I just thought, how is this going to work? And you know what? It does. It totally works. Well, I didn't spot the joins again, then. There you go. I'm secretly a five-foot-seven bloke, clearly. <laughs> I could tell that when we did the video. With the <laughs> when he was running across the roof, I was watching, and I said, I 
don't run like that. He runs like a girl. <laughs> <laughs> so Simon, uh, Simeon Halligan directed the movie, and yes. um, and how how was how, what was the what was the relationship like between actor and director? What was what was his methods? How did his style sort of compare to all the directors you've worked with? Well, it was really nice because, like I say, we discussed it a lot beforehand, and he trusted me very much and, and let me run with things. And, and Lee and I, Lee Williams, who played um, Ed, my husband, Sarah's husband in the, in the film, um, we'd quite often come to him and say, you know, we're looking at this scene again and, and this little bit of dialogue here doesn't really work. What do you think if we do this with it? You know, probably every director's nightmare, like bloody actors. But um, Simeon was really down for it. And um, he, had, he had sort of rewritten a couple of bits that weren't working and he said, "Look, I'm not a writer. If you know, if you need to, if you feel more comfortable changing that to that, let's go for it." So he was really, he was really ego-free with us, and just, you know, he would say if something wasn't working. But he was really collaborative, and so that was great, mm. uh, especially for Lee and I, because that sort of stuff brings you closer when you mess about with things and, and experiment. Um, and there was a few, couple of times we did a bit of improv stuff, and that was fun. Um, and, you know, he was very cheery throughout the shoot, which on these things that are such tight budgets and tight schedules and then you've got weather elements and you've got uh, children and animals and, you know, um, just a lot going on and a lot of night shoots as well. So everyone's kind of reversed on their body clocks um, and he kept his cool. So it was a pleasure. Sounds sounds like sounds a whale of a time. So, what do you think was the, the sort of great? I mean, you've you've hinted at with some of the you know being covered in bruises and stuff. But what what did you feel was the sort of greatest challenge playing uh, the role of Sarah? I think it was probably, probably, if I'm perfectly honest, fighting my own ego to play somebody who sometimes was a bit of a stereotype of a manipulative. Um, I can't say lame or pathetic because I can't judge my character, mm. but Sarah is not like me at all, you know, in the way in which she handles her relationship and um, that whole you go and do it because you're the man stuff, mm. you know, um, is not my style. But it was her character and it was integral to the film because then you, it's much more fun to watch her turn around and step up later. Mm. Um, and I thought that power play was interesting and it does happen in relationships. Um, and Lee didn't play his character in a traditional uh, macho way either. So, you know, I just might just sometimes your ego goes, I don't want to I don't want to make her too unlikable, you know, mm. um, but I knew that I had to fight that. So that was a challenge to find a way to do that and be comfortable with it, um, if that makes sense. No, no, no. I mean, I guess if it, if it feels so unusual, then it must be it must be a challenge. And certainly, if instinctively you think in this situation I wouldn't do that, then clearly you're going against type in yourself, I suppose. Yeah, and you know, you you like to believe you're completely immersed in the character, but sometimes there is an actor's voice in you as well that goes, "I don't want to be seen as this," um, and you have to say, "Shut up to that voice," because it doesn't help you at all. Um, to be self-conscious like that. So I think that was something I hadn't experienced before, where I had to find a way to like her when she acted like that and to find a way to make it honest and and uh, and to make myself, like I say, my little ego comfortable with it. Um, and then it was just the, the being freezing cold and, 
and <laughs> crawling along the ground, you know, with your knees in rocks and, you know, just, just, just sticking with, uh, just sticking with it really and, and giving it your all when sometimes you were just knackered, you know? Yeah, I guess that bit, I guess that bit never gets easy, does it? Because I suppose you, you, you blanket out your mind between jobs and then you end up, like, again, if you're in, like, desperate situations, as horrible yeah. as tend to tell their characters, you think, oh, yeah. God, here I am again, crawling along a rock pool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was, I'd never, like, I'd never ran away for so long in a film. I don't think I'd ever ran away in a film, um, ever. And here I was doing an entire film of running away, mm. you know? So your heartbeat, your heart rate and your <clears throat> your fight was always up. So that's kind of... Uh, quite a high level of anxiety to sort of act in for for a month um but i say that was the hardest part but it doesn't mean it was actually hard it was still a pleasure indeed, indeed. now now you've uh, you, you're adding a new string to your bow with uh, with writing mm-hmm. and you're, you're doing screenwriting is that right yeah i write a column for a, a magazine called crave online and then i also um, I have been writing screenplays for a while, and this is the first one that that I believe will be made. Um, so it's called Perfect, and I hope to direct it next year. Okay, and have you, have you written yourself into it, or are you? Have I'm playing lead, I'm directing it, and I've written it. Have you sung so... the theme tune? <laughs> the egomaniac, like. <laughs> no, no, it's on. not unusual. I just, I just had to throw that gag in. That was, you know, it was a hard, hard one to miss. But you know, in terms of in terms of writing, then what's your what's your writing style? Are you are you an outliner? Are you just dive straight in? You you talk about it for days. I always want to dive straight in, but I've learned that that's not the best way for me to do it. So yeah, I I outline the hell out of it, hmm. and then I always feel it's really good to know what your ending is because then you kind of know what your film's actually about. Yeah. You know, you, you realise what you're trying to say with it. Um, so to get that down quite early. And then as I'm outlining, I'll be tempted and I'll start writing dialogue and writing scenes and writing bits, but I keep them as notes, you know, so that I don't get carried away. And the same when I'm drawing something, I want to start in a little of detail. Um, and I think you do have to get the body and the muscle and the shape of it before you start doing that. Um, and then I just keep going forever until I'm finally satisfied with it. So you, are, you, are you up in the morning kind of guy? Or you burn the midnight on? I'm a stay up all night writer. Okay. Yeah, I like to write at night. So I'll think I'm going to start writing in the morning and at about four o'clock I'll actually properly get started and then at about four in the morning I won't want to stop but I'll have to put it down. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm kind of in a similar similar world. I heard a great quote from um, Michael Arn, you know, the guy that wrote Little Miss Sunshine. And oh, Story yeah. Three. He said he gets up early, he reads the paper, he drinks some coffee, he reads the paper, he procrastinates till he hates himself, and then he starts writing. Yeah. And I thought, thank God somebody's finally said it. <laughs> yeah. I know, isn't it awful? Because you, 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 you tend to hear examples where people go, well, you know, I, just, I, I, get, I climb out of bed and then I start outlining. By lunchtime, I'm writing my first scene and then I've got the first draft by dinner. And you're like thinking, how did that happen? Because they're lying. I, that's, that's what I've begun to learn. <laughs> there, there are a lot yeah. of liars out there. So what's, what's the film about then? Can you, can you tell us anything about the plot? About what you've Yeah, it's a, bee, it's, it's a bee, it's a bee, it's about a bee. It's about a female comic, a comedian who is sort of outwardly 
um, very outgoing and inwardly very self-conscious and ultimately self-destructive, um, like most comedians are. Yeah. And um, she keeps the relationships that would be best for her at a distance. So her sister, her older sister, who has a very uh, organized life, she has a kid, she has another one on the way, she's a career woman, she's married, she's comfortable uh, with herself. And then her best friend, Dave, who lives next door to her. Mm. Um, so those that know her best and love her best and would be best for her, she kind of keeps at a distance. And instead she distracts with this very dysfunctional relationship that she has with her boyfriend, in quotation marks. Yeah. Um, and when her best friend Dave kills himself, it holds up a mirror to her frailties and she has to recognise her own issues. Um, and she finally answers the call from her sister to go to Spain to visit her and take a break, and she's finally ready to kind of fall into her sister's arms and say, yeah, my life's a bit messed up and I'm actually not very happy. Um, and then when she gets there, she discovers that her sister's family are the ones who are batshit crazy, and she, she needs to look after them because they're going through it at that time. Um, and in her the journey that she goes on in Spain with looking after the youngest uh, the her sister's young toddler yeah. um her comedy kind of develops to be much more personal and honest rather than this kind of character that she had on stage before um and she essentially learns that she doesn't need to be perfect and that's why it's called perfect and believe it or not it's comedy <laughs> <laughs> so what, what compelled you to write that story then that's... well it's kind of an amalgamation of a lot of different people i know and different experiences i've had i, I did have a friend a very dear friend who killed himself a few years ago um, who, you know, I grieved and, and, and then I also have two best friends called Dave who I've lived next door to. Weirdly in LA, I have a neighbor called David who's British and gay. And then I have had a previous neighbor who's British called David in my other apartment building, um, who's straight. So Dave is kind of a mix of those two guys and of, uh, and of my friend Chris who died. And I had an experience where I went out to Spain to look after my sister's toddler. Um, and then, and that was just a really centering experience for me. Yeah. And brought me into the moment, which in this kind of actor's disorganized, insane lifestyle that we have, where you never know what's next or you don't have security, you know. Um, it was actually not my sister's life I was experiencing over there that made me feel secure. It was the bond I had between me and this baby you know yeah, yeah um who was just very much in the moment and and very hate the word to use the word pure um but just present um and that struck me so i kind of used that experience and then another time i went to see my sister she she gave birth 10 weeks early to her second son and so after that had happened when i'd already was already halfway through the script in fact on the last day of white settlers i got the call from her saying uh, he's come early, and I went immediately to Spain to see her. Right. So at that time, I, I I folded that into the script and added a bit more drama. Okay. And then I just thought I'd make it a comedian because I know a lot of comics, and I kind of the personalities of them interest me. Um, and I knew that if I wrote it from an actress's perspective, that no one would give a shit because it's very hard to be sympathetic <laughs> or empathetic with actors, especially actresses. Uh, but comedians, they're kind of a bit more salty and down to earth, so in people's minds. So that's why I made her a comedian. Cool. 
I'm really giving you the full story here. No, 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 no. I was going to say, so you're saying you're, you're hoping to shoot that next summer? I'm hoping to shoot it next summer. There's a festival in Spain called San Juan, which is a totally mental festival where they set fire to the beaches okay. um, in the northwest. Mm-hmm. And so I want to shoot it in June to cover that. All right, okay. Well, yeah. look, I mean, it'd be great if we could uh, get you back on after that's in the can and everything. Thank you, I'd love to. Well, look, there's one more question I'd like to ask before people leave the show. Um, and it's to, to recommend us a British film, mm-hmm. old on you, that you think deserves more kudos or revisit? Well, if I can be very cheeky, I'd like to recommend not a British film, but an Irish film. But Go it's on, sort we'll of, you, you know, it's still be available in Britain. <laughs> um, and they are our brothers and sisters across the way. They are. Um, it's a film called Patrick's Day. And it was made by a very talented writer-director called Terry McMahon. And it stars Kerry Fox. Remember her? Yeah. Yeah, she's fantastic. And Mo Dunford, who's this young Irish actor. I think he's like 26. And I swear to God, he's like our Marlon Brando. He's absolutely brilliant. And Patrick is a schizophrenic um, boy who's on his 25th birthday out with his mother, which is obviously he was born on Patrick's Day. Um, St. Patrick's Day, and they always spend his birthday alone together. In fact, he spends most of his time in a care home or just with his mother. Um, And she's very controlling and containing of his life, um, out of fear, obviously, for him. And on this birthday of his, they lose each other, and he ends up meeting this girl and losing his virginity and falling in love. And this love that he feels for this other woman threatens his mother so intently that she becomes, she manipulates his life in a way that is absolutely fascinating and it's so full of twists and it's so thrilling and it's so beautiful and it's the most compelling film I've ever seen about mental health because it's just so realistic. Oh, well, check that out. That sounds amazing. I didn't, I didn't yeah, it's just been picked by the DGA in the States as a a special finders um, finders film, like a discovery film over yeah, there. Yeah. So they're they're playing over there next week, actually, and um, hopefully it'll. You know, I think it's going to be a big deal, but it's a great movie. No, oh, thanks for giving us the heads up. There you go. Well, look. So White Set is out on DVD end of October. I believe so. Okay. Well, we'll earmark that one as a date. Yes, in fact, I'm pretty damn sure it's the end of October. Okay. Um, and you'll see it on all the, you know, it's going to be in Tesco's and all of those things. And it's also uh, going to be released at the same time on all the VOD platforms. So it'll be on the Skybox and... iTunes. Yeah, it's getting a nice wide release. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you very much for uh, giving us your time on Britflix. Thank you very much. Good luck with the release of that and good luck with your film. Thank you. All right, take care, Pauliana. You too. It's the Britflix.com podcast. It's the Britflix.com podcast. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? 
And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.